Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 106, Travel Around the World with Gary Arndt. So this week we're meant to be in Beijing, but we're not. We're still here in Auckland. We are so gutted that the China 2.0 trip has been cancelled and we are not in China, so we're feeling really disappointed about that. You know what the good news is? Um, no. No, neither do I really. But we do have a lot more time to work on the podcast. <laughs> yes, so this week we're going to be, um, well, I'm going to be hitting the editing floor and trying to get a whole lot of video stuff organized so we can start a second season of video podcasts sometime in June. That would be very exciting. And I'm going to be working on editing some articles and doing show notes. So yeah, hopefully we'll both just be working on the podcast all the time. Oh, an update on the 2000 in May thing. Um, we've got a few more days to go before the end of May, so you must get in and leave an iTunes review if you want to be in to win a $50 voucher. Yeah, so what she's talking about is if you leave a review on iTunes for the Indie Travel Podcast, then leave a comment on the site. There's a particular post which we'll highlight in the show notes. Then um, we might pull your name out of a hat and you will... Uh win 50 bucks of iTunes or Amazon vouchers. So today we're doing an interview with Gary Arndt of everything-everywhere.com and Gary's been traveling around the world for over two years now. He started in the States, went down into the Pacific, Southeast Asia, Oceania, um, over to Asia proper, the Middle East and North Africa and he's made it into Europe. Yep, we're really jealous of Gary. And we don't like him very much because he traveled so much. <laughs> but we did decide to talk to him anyway. <laughs> yeah. We've actually been trying to do this interview for over a year, but either his bandwidth has been too bad or we've had a bad internet connection or whatever. It just hasn't happened. So we're really glad to catch up with Gary before he finishes his trip. Yeah, it's very exciting. Gary supplies the desktop wallpaper that we offer for download each month. And we've just started up a weekly photo section with which Gary's been contributing to. Yeah, so you can see his photography on our site at IndieTravelPodcast.com, and uh, we'll link through to his site in the show notes as well. Okay, we'll see you at the end. So today I'm speaking with Gary Arndt, who's the owner and writer of possibly the most popular online travelogue in the world. So Gary, welcome on the Indie Travel Podcast. Hello. So can you um, tell us a little bit about um, where you've been traveling and what you've been up to? Been on the road now for 26 months. I started in March of 1987, or I'm sorry, March of 2007. Uh, I began my trip in the Pacific. I started in Hawaii, and then I went to different islands and countries in the Pacific: Tahiti, Easter Island, the Cook Islands, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, Micronesia, the Marshall Islands, Palau. A lot of places that people don't usually go to. And from there, I went to East Asia. Uh, Japan, Taiwan, Korea, uh, Southeast Asia, Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, um, Thailand, of course. I was in Australia, New Zealand as well, uh, the Middle East for several months, um, Oman, the UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, uh, Egypt, Jordan, Israel. And now I've been in Italy a month slowly kind of working my way to the west yeah it doesn't sound bad at all now a lot of people will have heard that list and gone what how many do you have a do you have a total there of how many countries you've been to in the last few years 
Uh, it depends how you define a country. Uh, the list I kind of use is there's a group called the the Century Travelers Club, and they have a list of countries, but it doesn't. They're not all really countries. Some are like subdivisions of countries that are divided geographically. And by those, I've been to about sixty five at this point. Like they would define Hawaii and Alaska as being separate from the rest of the continental United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tasmania is separate from the rest of Australia. Uh, Taiwan is its own country, even though it's not in the United Nations. Same with Hong Kong and Macau. Uh, Okinawa is considered separate from Japan because it's geographically and culturally distinct. Things like that. Cool. So 65, you're beating us. And I'm sure by the time you get through Europe, being so culturally dense, you'll be, you'll be well ahead of us in, in this game. Well, I've been to so many little countries. That's the weird thing. When you look at a map. It's not like I've really filled it all in because I've been to so many of these tiny little countries. Like last week I was in San Marino. Yeah, sure. Not really a whole lot on the map to fill in. Cool. So um, do you mind telling us how are you funding all of this international travel? Are you working as you're going or? I am most definitely not. Uh, I sold my home. Uh, that's what allowed me to travel. I sold it before things really took a dive in the United States uh, housing market. And I also had a previous uh, company that I sold about 10 years ago now. It was an internet consulting firm, and so I'm just traveling off my savings currently. That sounds beautiful. Much, uh, much, well, much more relaxed than having to work along the way and deal with visas and that kind of thing. Well, it's not like I'm living in five-star accommodations. I always stay in, in hostels or uh, guest houses or budget hotels, things like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So let's um, head back to the start of your trip and into the Pacific. Are there any um, initial overview tips or any ideas you can give to someone who's planning a trip down that way? There's not a lot of people that plan trips to the Pacific. Uh, you may get people that will go to French Polynesia, especially if you're French because that's where most of the tourists come from. Uh, a lot of Australians will go to Fiji and a lot of people will stop at Fiji if they're on part of an around-the-world tour. I always recommend if you're going to cross the Pacific Ocean and it's a really long trip, take a stop somewhere in the Pacific. Um, let's say you're going from the United States to New Zealand. I know that Air New Zealand has stops in – there's one flight that goes Los Angeles, Samoa, Tonga, Auckland. Then they have another one that's, that stops in uh, the Cook Islands. So that's just a great place to stop. Fiji's another place to stop. If you're going to, say, Japan – uh, there's a flight that goes from Hawaii to Guam, and in between it stops in the Marshall Islands and Micronesia. Mm, so so those are – that's really the best way to do it, I think. Uh, doing it like I did is very difficult because there's no one airline that serves every country. Uh, flights are very sporadic. Sometimes there's only one flight a week. Um, schedules are very flaky. Every guidebook is, is wrong because they change the schedule, uh, the flight schedule so often. Mm, I see. Um, so you're suggesting instead of going the direct route, just, just island hopping as you pass through? Yeah, that's really the easiest way to do it. Uh, there are some places like Palau that really are not you know, in between anywhere. You kind of have to go out of your way to go there. Uh, but it's a wonderful place to visit. Uh, the nice part about the Pacific is the people are very, very nice. It's very, very safe. Uh, the biggest danger is going to come from other tourists. Some places can be pretty expensive, uh, especially the French 
uh, colonies like French Polynesia or New Caledonia because they have their own currency. Um, that tends to make it rather expensive. But for the most part, you know, I just had a wonderful time in, in places like Samoa and Fiji, and I would go back in a heartbeat. The island of Ponape in Micronesia, I felt it was the most beautiful place I've ever been. Absolutely beautiful island, beautiful lagoon, beautiful flowers, and uh, even ancient ruins on the island. Wow, that is cool. You've told me a lot about uh, Palau before and the diving there. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't scuba dive until I started traveling. I got, I got my certification when I was in Hawaii, and since then I've been diving whenever I could. And I think the, the most interesting spot to go diving was in the country of Palau. It's to the east of the Philippines and north of Indonesia. It's one of the smallest countries in the world. It has a population of about 20,000 people. Absolute best scuba diving. And what they're best known for is uh, the jellyfish lake. It's this lake inside of a limestone island. It's fed by seawater through the cracks in the island. Uh, and thousands of years ago, jellyfish got stuck in the lake and they evolved away their stingers because they had no predators. So today you can go swimming in this lake and be surrounded by tens of thousands of these fist-sized jellyfish. They rub up against you perfectly safe, and it's one of the most surreal experiences you'll ever have in your life. Yeah, your photos from there are just amazing. We're going to have to um, steal some of those and put them on the enhanced uh, track of the podcast. Yeah, please do. Cool. And um, you went from the Pacific Islands, which are idyllic, relaxed, there's, you know, there's stuff to do, but it's all very chilled. And you went from there into countries like Japan and Korea, which I imagine as big mega cities which are bustling with people. How, how did that transition work? Uh, well, in between, I was in, before I, before I got to Japan, I was in, say, the Philippines and the Solomon Islands, which are, are rather poor countries. Uh, poorer than, say, the rest of the South Pacific. Uh, so the transition was really from that to the Philippines, which is very bus- bustling. Um, just as an aside, I've met Filipinos in every single country I've been to almost. <laughs> it's really been amazing because they work everywhere. I had my hair cut in the Marshall Islands of all places. I mean, middle of nowhere in the Pacific. Barbershop was run by Filipinos. Uh, they're all over the Gulf states, um, working uh, retail jobs. I've seen Filipinos in Italy. I've, I've just met them everywhere. And they're absolutely great people. And it's always great to be able to, to strike up a conversation once you told them that you know, you've been to the Philippines and you've been to their country and you might have even been to their hometown. Uh, but yeah, Japan and, and South Korea, I found... Really interesting because in so many ways, Japan is, you know, maybe the most advanced country in the world from a technological standpoint. Um, you can get around so easy on the Shinkansen, which is their bullet train. It goes 300 kilometers an hour. Uh, you'll see people with, you know, watching live video on their cell phones on the train. Uh, but then at the same time, there's still a lot of very traditional uh, conservative cultural parts of the society as well. And they got the best food in the world. Japanese food is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. And uh, while you're in Japan, you went down to a place that I'm really keen to go. I'm a big fan of um, Japanese anime. And you went down to the park, which was the setting for Princess Mononoke. Yeah, the island of Yakushima. That's uh, kind of redundant because Shima in Japanese is island. Uh, but if you go to Kagoshima, 
which is the capital of Kagoshima Prefecture. That's the southernmost town in the main islands of Japan. Uh, you can take a ferry, and the ferry is about, I think, 45 minutes to an hour south. You'll go to Yakushima, which is a volcanic island, and it's about 1,000 meters high in the middle. Very, very lush. And in the center, up in the mountains, you have these cedar forests. And the cedar forests were the inspiration for the movie Princess Mononoke. Very, very beautiful. Uh, I took so many photos there, and when, when I was going through them, I just realized this is a great photo, this is a great photo, this is a great photo. Because uh, I was up in the clouds, you had all this fog, and it was just really, really dramatic. And everywhere I pointed my camera, something good turned out. Mm, lovely. So where to after that part of the world? Um, after Korea, I went to Hong Kong, and I ended up staying in Hong Kong, Macau, for about a little under three weeks. And I really enjoyed Hong Kong. It's one of the most vibrant cities in the world. I would say it's on a par with maybe New York. Uh, you have those, these, it's on an island. You have these vertical buildings, uh, very dense population. So it reminds me a lot of Manhattan. Uh, and then from there, I went to, did a complete 180, and I went to Brunei, the Sultanate of Brunei on the island of Borneo, and um, where I had New Year's Eve, um, 2007. And I went to Malaysian Borneo. I went to Mulu National Park, which is one of the, I think, most underrated and spectacular natural national parks that I've been to on my trip. Uh, it's in the it's in the rainforests of Borneo. You have spectacular wildlife all around you. Then they also have some of the largest caves in the world. Uh, one cave in particular called Deer Cave. It's the largest cavern in the world. I think they may have found a larger one in Vietnam recently, but it's absolutely enormous. They describe it that you could put three St. Paul cathedrals in London inside of this cavern. Wow. And there are, there are several million bats that live in it. So every night, you can, uh, they have a viewing area, and you can see this river of bats in the sky that go out to the rainforest to feed. And it's just absolutely amazing. And the best part is there are no roads that go to Mulu. The only way to get there is to fly. Wow, that sounds really cool. In that part of the world, you went to a couple of what might be considered hot zones, a couple of um, contested borders at times. What possessed you to um, to head out there? I, I wanted to see what it was. There are probably two incidents that, that um, spring to mind. One is I was in East Timor the morning of the assassination attempt on the president and the prime minister. And I had walked around uh, the capital of Dili, the, the previous two days, and I met some people, and I saw a rally that was going on. They have these gangs that go around the city that are martial arts clubs, and I don't really pretend to, to understand it. The morning I was leaving, I got in my taxi, and the taxi driver didn't speak English, and he just pointed to me and said, bang, bang, very bad. I didn't know what he was talking about. There must have been a shooting or a robbery or, or something. I get to the airport, and there are all these Australian peacekeepers there. They have their guns drawn. Again, I didn't really think anything of it, but when we finally – the plane arrived in Darwin, uh, a police officer came, told us what had happened, had said the president had been killed. Uh, turns out he, he did not – he was not killed. Uh, he was flown to Darwin and recovered fully uh, and said if we knew anything, we should uh, tell the police. And So that was a, a very weird experience. And the other weird uh, thing I did is when I was in Cambodia, I went to the um, – they were having a border conflict with Thailand over a temple called Previere, 
which had been named a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site the summer before, which actually triggered the violence between the two countries, believe it or not, because there's always these territorial claims. So when I was visiting uh, Angkor Wat, I got my tuk-tuk driver to take me 200 kilometers up to Previere, which was one of the most exhausting rides because it was on this little motorbike. The roads were not at all paved. 200 kilometers, you think, okay, maybe that's you know two or three hours driving. It took seven hours to get there, eight hours to get back. We drove through rain. We get there. You know, There were soldiers, uh, rocket-propelled grenades. They had AK-47s. And I, I learned later that there was a Thai soldier that had been killed that day while I was there by a landmine. That must have happened after I had left. But saying that, you've, you've just talked about a couple of maybe scary places or scary things that have happened. But um, from everything I've read of your work, you'd say that traveling is very, very safe. Yeah, the reason I went there is, is because I didn't really feel it was that dangerous. Uh, you know, there are limits to what I'll do. I'm not planning on going to Baghdad anytime soon. Um, but for the most part, people have an irrational fear of traveling. They have a fear of things they don't know anything about. And what little you hear about some of these countries is always negative because only the bad things will ever make the news. And you don't realize that every day, day in and day out, millions of millions of people go on living their lives in these countries, not getting killed, not getting robbed, just trying to eke out an existence just like everybody else on the planet. And usually when you get to these places and have your feet on the ground, you realize that most of your fears and everything you heard on the media was completely overblown. Along with your, your philosophy of travel, you've always weighed in on the, the anti-side of the guidebook debate, saying that it's not worth carrying a guidebook around with you. Are you holding to that? I have purchased one guidebook uh, on my entire trip, and that was the, uh, the Moon's Guide to the South Pacific. So that was the very first place I traveled. So I bought it before my trip. The author was a guy named David Stanley, who, quite frankly, is, I think, I really do believe he is the expert on the South Pacific. He's written several guides. Um, but that being said, and through no fault of his own, much of the book was out of date by the time I got it. All of the flight information, or I should say a, a lot of it, was out of date. Nothing he could have done about that. You just had to check online. Um, it was very heavy. It was one of the heaviest things I was carrying with me. And it was also pretty expensive. It was like 40 U.S. dollars to buy it at a bookstore. And if I was buying guidebooks every single place I went, that would be a lot of money. It would be a lot of stuff to carry around. And the longer I traveled, the more I realized I didn't need to do any of that. I could show up at a town without a reservation. This has worked for me almost everywhere I've been. I mean, I was in Jerusalem for Holy Week. And on Good Friday... In Jerusalem, I managed to find a hotel room without any advance reservation or anything else. The only place I've ever had a problem was in Tokyo. And that's simply because a lot of the hostels and places get booked by people who come into the city for the weekend. So that's the only place I would really recommend doing it before that. But other than that, yeah, much of what you need from a guidebook, you can get from other travelers. You can get online. You can get from brochures and other information. Uh, that they will give you at the hotel or the hostel. There's an entire industry in almost every town you go to which is designed towards uh, taking your money as a tourist and showing you what you can spend it on. It's not that I'm against guides per se. I'm not particularly against books. I just think that 
guide books the way they're the current incarnation of them uh they tend to be out of date by the time you get it that that is information which would be probably better off uh accessed online uh so for example if lonely planet were to offer much of their information via an application for an ipod touch or an iphone and they sold it for say 9.99 on the itunes store i'd probably buy that i would have no problem with that because it would be updated constantly, it would be much cheaper, and it wouldn't be so heavy. So if someone was um, then heading from Southeast Asia into the Middle East, um, what's kind of the next step there? You just talked about being in Jerusalem. Yeah, I, I went from Bangkok directly to Dubai. So I did not go to two of the big places I did not go on my trip was mainland China and India. And the reason is, is because I want to try to get – I haven't been home for two years, so I'm trying to get back home this summer, uh, meet my family, and then I'll do China and India independently as separate trips later on. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I went around the, uh, the Persian Gulf, another one of those areas that everyone is like, you know, oh, it's so dangerous. Wonderful people, absolutely wonderful. Uh, I have a great story I tell people of when I was in Oman. I had my backpack and I was going to a taxi stand to get a ride from uh, Nizwa to Muscat, which is about 100 kilometers. A man stops, offers me a ride, drives me 100 kilometers, doesn't speak a word of English. I don't speak any Arabic. Uh, buys me lunch, buys me some kebabs on the side of the road, drops me off at my hotel, says goodbye, refuses to take any money for gas or any of his troubles. You know – you don't hear about that kind of stuff in the news. No, the guy was just – he never asked where I was from. He didn't, he didn't want to know any of that. He was just being charitable. That's cool. I guess that's a very different picture, as you said, from the, the popular media of you know when you go traveling, be careful of everyone. Everyone's trying to, trying to rip you off or, or rob you. And, and oh, my, my traveler like senses were definitely tingling. Uh, you know, when someone offers to give you a ride, you know, that is something you should be skeptical of. And if that was in a different country, if I was in Egypt, I probably would not have taken a, a ride from him uh, just because I found the experience in Egypt to be very, very different uh, than the rest of the Arab countries I had visited. Um, but, yeah, you'll, you'll find that kind of hospitality all over the Gulf states. Mm. Now, a lot of people would say that the, um, <clears throat> that the Middle East is a good place for a, a business destination. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of dealing going on, but maybe not so good for a for a traveler or rather for a tourist who's there just for a short week to see the sights. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I actually would kind of agree with it. I, I, some of the countries like um, Dubai is a place to go to see Dubai, right? The spectacle, which is Dubai, all the building and the construction and the malls and the artificial islands. It's its own thing. There's nothing in the world like Dubai. If you're going there to see the rich culture and history, that's not Dubai. I mean, the entire country is brand new for the most part. Um, 70% of the country, might be more than that, isn't even Emirati. They're Filipino or Indian or Southeast Asian or South Asian, you know, could be Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi. Um, But but Dubai is kind of its own thing. Some of the other smaller Gulf countries like uh, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, there's not a whole lot to see. They're very small places. Um, not, yeah, if you're going there for business, 
you know, I would take a, a day or two to, to drive around. But other than that, yeah, there's not much to see. Mm. Oman, I thought, was, was exceptional, however. Um, Oman is very beautiful, very beautiful mountains, not nearly as developed as the other Gulf states, very traditional, very, very clean, um, and prices more reasonable than what you're going to see in, say, Dubai or Abu Dhabi. Mm, talking about money, you've just arrived in um, in Europe in the last few weeks, and you're in Italy of all places. You must have noticed a big difference to your uh, to your cash flow now that you've arrived. Yeah, I, I think Venice is the most expensive city I've I've ever been, and that's saying a lot. I saw restaurants here that were charging six euros for a diet coke, and uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Especially compared to what you spend in, say, Southeast Asia, places like Vietnam. I mean, one day in Venice can take you two weeks in Vietnam. So people always ask me, you know, where should I go? And I just say it depends how much money you want to spend. You know, Europe is Europe. It's wonderful. Venice is a beautiful city, one of the most beautiful on earth, rich in you know, history. Uh, and it's also cram full of tourists and ridiculously expensive. Yeah, it's um, there's nothing quite like seeing Venice, but there's something strange about seeing it with, you know, half a million other people from overseas who are all trying to look at uh, St. Mark's Square at the same time. Well, having been there now, if I went there again, I don't think I would stay in Venice. I would stay in, like, Padua mm-hmm. yep. and just, just okay. take the train in train for the in day. For the day. Yep. Cool. And so what are your plans for the future? I have about two months left in Europe, and I think I'm going to go through France uh amsterdam london you know just just kind of the the high points in that part of europe Mm -hmm. i kind of have a drop dead date where i'm going to try to be in chicago by uh july 26th uh so i can my family lives about three hours away from chicago so i haven't seen them in two years and so i'll spend some time there and then i'm going to do some domestic traveling in the united states i'll take my car out of storage and i'm planning to make a road trip to california uh, visit Yellowstone, Yosemite, and the Grand Canyon. And believe it or not, I've never visited the Grand Canyon or Yosemite, even though I'm an American and have traveled extensively throughout the country. Uh, do some photography there now that I kind of know what I'm doing in that department. And then hopefully later this year and in 2010, I'll be traveling through the Caribbean and Central America. Wow, nice. Well, maybe next year we'll be able to catch you somewhere in Central or South America. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Good times. Oh, well, um, what's it like traveling for such an extended period of time? Um, a lot of our listeners are, are planning travel and planning extended independent travel. So you've been on the road for a while now. How's, how's it feel? What's it like? At this point, I'm just so used to it. It's just kind of my life. I mean, I, I guess I have lived in hotel and hostel rooms now for almost 800 days straight. <laughs> um, and so I'm just used to it. I'm used to eating alone. And, uh, you know, if I meet someone and we, we have dinner or hang out, it's, it's a real treat. When I, when I first started, I think that was the oddest thing I had to get used to is that I don't have a place to go back to anymore. Cause normally when you travel, you just, Oh, I'm going to be gone someplace for a week. And then, you know, then you get to go back home. So that was the hardest part adjusting. And I think what I did was probably a smart move. I I took some time. I went through the United States. Then I went to Hawaii. And that was kind of like a halfway house, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a big cultural shock. It's still part of the United States. But it's it's different. You're far away from home. 
Um, so I spent three weeks there, and, and that was a good way to get acclimated just to being on the road. Definitely. Yeah, we're in the opposite situation now. We've just had a, a trip to China cancelled on us, so now we're actually at home in Auckland, New Zealand, and we're planning on staying here for about five or six months to catch up with friends. And it's very weird trying to find a place to live for that long. You know, if I was here for a week, I'd be fine, but trying to be here for, for such an extended period of time, it seems very, very strange. Well, that's, I think that's actually why I'm planning on driving uh, to the <laughs> yeah. western part of the United States. Uh, I'll spend probably about a month around my parents. Um, I'm going to probably go to uh, – I, I lived in, in Minneapolis before I started traveling. So I'll, I'll go there for a few days, I think, uh, see some friends. I think I'm going to give a lecture in the Twin Cities. So if you have any listeners in the Twin Cities, um, you should probably pay attention to – that will probably be happening sometime in August. I think the plan is I'll find a projector, bring my laptop at a, a bar and kind of do it. This is what I did on my summer vacation slideshow uh-huh. and uh, everybody can drink and answer questions and things like that. Yeah, that sounds cool. And um, for people that can't wait that long or get there, you've also got a website with daily photography and video and um, lots of stories about your travels. You want to tell us about that? Oh, yeah, it's at everything-everywhere.com, and uh, that's my website, and I've been running it now for, you know, since before the start of my trip, and uh, that's kind of what I do. I It's sort of, keeping a blog when you're on the road actually, I think, keeps you sane in a way. Uh, it's a way to, to communicate with people, and like for the last week, I've been in kind of heavy tourist mode. I've been, you know, every day just going out, seeing something, taking photos, and I haven't been putting a lot of effort into my blog. And what I realized is that it kind of serves as a natural break on doing too much. Hmm. That spending time at the computer actually is sort of a, you just, you, you can't be a tourist like that all the time when you're traveling long term. If you're on vacation for a week, maybe you can do that, but it's just, it's too hectic of a pace to keep up. So that's actually what I plan on doing the next couple of days. I'll just take some time, go through my photos, you know, go to some of the local restaurants, and uh, that's it. Okay. Well, Gary, thanks so much for coming on the show, talking about your travels. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get you on in the future to talk about photography and blogging and um, running a popular website while you're traveling full-time. Anytime the bandwidth works. Thanks, Gary, for coming on the show. It was really great. Yeah, it was indeed. Now, a couple of uh, shows ago, a couple of months ago now, we had Honor Dagen on. Remember, she was from the UK and living in Tokyo. Tokyotopia. Tokyotopia.com. Yep. Well, she's um, one of a guest host on a new podcast, which I'm really enjoying. It's called the Japan Show Podcast. And uh, she's on every couple of weeks and giving kind of practical travel advice on there. So you should look them up in iTunes. And she's also about to start something that's completely new. Along with Shane Sakata, who's a blogger at the Nihon Sun, they are starting up a Twitter chat to answer your questions about Japan Live. If you have any questions about Japan or traveling in Japan, you can uh, go to japandiscovered.com and um, both Shane and Honor will be there at a certain time to answer your questions live. 
on Twitter. That's great. It is. It's a brilliant idea. Right, well, Hostel Bookers are celebrating their fifth anniversary. I can't believe they've only been around for five years. It feels like ages. It does. Show us our age. (laughs) (laughs) But um, they're selling 50 beds for five cents in each of five different destinations. So there's about 250 beds in total for five cents, which is quite quite cheap, really. Yeah, I know. We talk about hosteling being a good, cheap option, but that's just ridiculous, isn't it? It really is. So if you're going to Santorini, Corfu, Barcelona, Valencia, or Alguero, which is in Sardinia, then you should definitely go on Hostel Bookers and book your bed for five cents, because those are the destinations there advertising it. It's um, a time-limited offer, so you have to be there at the right time each day, and we'll have uh, some more details on the site. We're going to close off, but next week we're going to be talking about World Nomad's fantastic adventure, which gives you a chance to road trip around Australia at their expense, um, which is pretty cool. We'll be talking to some people that have won it in the past, um, giving you some advice about road safety in Australia, and, um, yeah, talking about how you can win a, a road trip around a bit of Aussie. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be as much fun as we just had in our spaceship, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's Australia instead of New Zealand. But yeah, it should be pretty cool. You know, the Australians aren't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all we have to say for this week. So until next week, travel well. <laughs>